Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So let's be friends. Join us for our news roundup. And what a busy news cycle it's been. The FIA isn't pulling any punches, as it admits that incidents involving Lewis Hamilton need to be looked at differently, as he is a role model. The FIA president takes a break from stepping back and gives us hot takes on everything, going from how many races there should be to stepping toe-to-toe with Liberty over Andretti. We'll explore what the drivers were facing in Qatar and take seriously that person who said on Reddit that he spoke to some dude at a kart track who said some other dude had told him that Perez was defo super retiring. And we'll also look at what honours are left to fight for in 2023. We are an independent podcast produced in a podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by a kindly American, Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? You think those conditions were bad? Why, when I was a lad? When I were a lad, F1 races were uphill in both directions, and we <laughs> and the car the cars drove us. That's what happened. You need to tough it out. There we go. Oh my goodness! Yeah, there, um, we will explore the the comments from Martin Brundle, a man whose opinion I would I would I would die to defend in most cases. But he has definitely gone to bat on the old school. Uh, the drivers just needed to suck it up, Buttercup. Not that he's northern. Yeah, but he might not have been entirely wrong about that. No, but there's definitely. Are you saying that there's some nuance between uh, one tweet and then the internet reaction to it? I just. It could be a thing that happened, yes. We're joined by a racer and edgy engineer, Kyle Power. Hey, Kyle. 
Hey, looking forward to not upsetting other motorsport podcasts or famous Radio 1 DJs by being too good this week. <laughs> be, be so good at a karting event with other F1 podcasts that two of them publicly accuse you of cheating and bringing ringers in. Yeah, called us pros. I'm just like, well, we're not a pro, uh, but but thanks anyway. <laughs> uh, for context, and it's something we might address in future shows, uh, Greg James and Tommy Bellingham from P1, Matt and Tommy, uh, I have I have audio of them saying that Mr. Apex cheated at the ACAST karting event by employing professional drivers. And you, Kyle, got described as an ex-professional racing driver. Brad got descri- <laughs> described as a professional. But I think that means that you look too old to be a current racing driver and you must be an ex-racing driver. Well, probably too old and uh, portly. I'm carrying some extra timber and I could barely get into my race overall. So on, on the side profile, I was looking far from an athlete, shall we say. I posted a picture of me in my race costume, in my coveralls, and the first comment on Instagram was, oh, that poor zipper. <laughs> and I felt sad and deleted the picture. <laughs> oh dear, I'm oh glad dear. none of me went up. And oh. I'm just like, I looked at all of them. I'm just like, oh God, I'm just, I look awful. I'll and, leave um, it at that. But looking good, having lost some timber, joining us from the Netherlands is Jules Sagers. Hey, Jules. Hi, Spanners. Well, you think you think I, I might look better than last time, but um, I'm currently revisiting the incident that <laughs> had me ending up with two kids that bring flu and cold and viruses every single fall or autumn depending on where you live. So uh, that's my status at the moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revisit your wife's decisions in all of that because your wife is a role model, whereas you are allowed to walk on the track whenever you want. And that is, in fact, going to be the first news story, which is that Lewis Hamilton is being reinvestigated for Qatar. Okay, I'll admit that I was ever so slightly miffed at some of the news reports coming out that the FIA are going to revisit, are going to revisit the incident with Lewis Hamilton crossing the track. Now, he was already fined a certain amount. Does anyone have the figures to hand, Matt? Yeah, in fact, he was fined. I'm thinking, why did the Lewis Hamilton cross the track? To get to the other side, of course. Yeah, he was fined. The classic joke. But it was 50000 He mm. was fined. Half of that was suspended to the end of the season if he didn't do it again. And he also uh, uh, received uh, an official reprimand. And I'm not sure if he got any, any points on his license for being naughty like that. I see. So this is what Chris Medlin tweeted. And as far as I'm concerned, it's not real until Chris Medlin tweets it. He said the FIA is revisiting the incident in which Lewis Hamilton crossed a live track during the Qatar Grand Prix, despite original stewards' decisions, and then this is in quotes, in view of his role model status, the FIA is concerned about the impression his actions may have created on younger drivers. Okay, so this is the first time we've had very clearly the governing body of F1, F- the FIA, just coming out and saying, we are looking at this incident again, and we are looking at this incident differently because it is Lewis Hamilton and because he is a role model. And I think that left a lot of social media a little bit a little bit stunned, Kyle, because they, they almost said the quiet part out loud there. Yeah, uh, really surprising. And also at a time that the FIA and Formula One as a whole is under massive scrutiny, like confidence in the governing body and the governance as a whole of Formula One is at an all-time low and has been for a while. 
Um, so for them then to come out with all the controversy that's happened, particularly at Singapore, they were under fire. If you go onto Twitter and read any comment under an yeah. FIA article, they are getting so, absolutely roasted. So that's that's Singapore where Verstappen blocked on three separate occasions and then didn't yeah. get a penalty. And then they later came out and said, well, no, we should have given them a penalty. We're not going to revisit that because we, we don't revisit past incidents. Yes. Um, but we will, if anyone else does it in future, we will uh, give them a penalty. Whereas now they're saying, oh, no, we are going to actually, we can actually, we can revisit things and we're going to revisit what Lewis did, Matt. Well, okay. So they have the right to revisit these rulings. In the in the regulations, I did take the time to look it up out okay. of my busy, busy schedule. Oh, I'm sure they can. But, but as far as penalizing him differently than has already been done, they will have to take it to the international tribunal and have a proper case in which he is also allowed to show up and defend himself. Now, one of the suggestions, and, and I hate to take all the fun out of this immediately, one of the suggestions is, is what they said and what they meant weren't exactly the same thing. And they said it exceedingly poorly. In fact, so okay. poorly. I think the only thing I've seen get get more stick on social media was that terrible Piastri is as good as Hamilton article you were making. <laughs> no, fun I don't of want to call day. out that journalist. He's had a, a hard enough week. <laughs> no names need being mentioned. No, no, that. no, no. But 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 it it, it was it, the reaction actually struck me as kind of similar because it's almost universally FIA, what exactly are you even thinking saying it like this? Okay, but you can say, oh, well, they meant something different. But obviously, we can only judge uh, what, what they say. And I mean, Kyle, it's the optics of that are, are awful. Let, let's say, you know, they are meaning to talk about future revisions. The, the fact that they are only looking at it because Lewis Ham- it's Lewis Hamilton and he's a role model implies that if Piastri did it or, or someone crossed the track in Japan, I'm sure, and, and the Verstappen crossed the turn two track after the incident at Monza in 2021. Mm-hmm. The implication is if this wasn't Lewis Hamilton, we'd be leaving this alone. But because specifically because it's Lewis Hamilton or quote unquote a role model, we're revisiting it. Yeah. And if you want to play sort of devil's advocate and really look into it, it's kind of a bit of a bit of a sort of a, a diss towards the current triple world champion for Stappen. <laughs> so are you saying that he's not a role model? It's just because it's Hamilton yeah. because it's a role model. It's it's a bit it's a bit disrespectful to the other drivers as well. But look, in their defense, I think they're trying to set this golden example of you shouldn't do this now i think it would be very justified if lewis had had a quite a visible and notable sort of scuffle with the marshals and pushed them out of the way and then legged it across the track but that didn't really appear the case he just he just sort of went and did it now i used to be a marshal crossing the track was quite a common thing i'm not entirely sure when this rule came in that you can't cross live tracks usually it was the marshals would give you a gap and you would tell them because you'd have race control in your ear when it's safe to cross but obviously it's a blanket you cannot do that now but so i think what they're trying to do is setting the example for future generations and stuff is a bit misplaced so it kind of it's unfortunate for them it it very much sets them up as looking like they have an agenda and it's a bit misplaced it's a bit odd but i do think there was some genuine Mm. sort of reason behind it but oh wow they've made a complete mess of it and they've ended up looking absolutely terrible i've crossed a live fia racetrack once and it was a formula e in london and i sort of i I was just walking across and i didn't really know any diff better and then i heard oi and i was like what what and they were like oh yeah you're not meant to cross there because you know the cars are and then very shortly afterwards 
you can't really hear one Formula E car coming and it just goes boom. We go, whew, that was hairy. Uh, but I think, Matt, what we need now is an exhaustive list of which drivers are classed as role models and some reassurance that that isn't a list of one. Uh, well, yeah, and I think this gets to just the exceedingly poor wording of what was said to the journalist or the way the journalist reported it. In essence, all Formula One drivers could be considered role models for younger drivers because let's do recall earlier this year, there was a, a carter who was significantly injured, pushing his cart back onto a live track to try and continue competing. And I think it may be the FAA is is looking farther down the food chain than the initial announcement would, would have us believe to be the case thanks to the excessively poor wording of it. Yeah, I think that's that's the that's the case here. Of course, and also like Carl said, um there is a genuine message they they have, but the it's framed so extraordinarily that it's making more about Hamilton and about uh uh certain role models and then apparently uh, also, uh, a couple of drivers that are less prolific or <laughs> yeah. new, and it's they an insult are to everyone else more. So yeah, it's it's and and I think the it wouldn't have had such such a backlash now and a reaction that's not about the actual wider problem, but about the wording is also has to do with it's it's the um, it's not the first time that the FIA have have made stewarding decisions or uh, uh, have had outcomes from the stewards that raises eyebrows. Mm. And yet we had the face where it felt like the stewards uh, would, would send out safety cars for entertainment, you know, obviously we had Abu Dhabi 21, we had the <gasps> cost cap and, and all the, and all these two instances had like, we can't do anything uh, in hindsight. We can't change uh, the, the past. And now, all of a sudden, they apparently can for uh, an, an, an error, uh, a, a mistake, so to say, uh, that seems so innocent, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's from all kinds of perspectives. It's it's just the next thing the the mm-hmm. stewards do that that makes feel like who's running this sport and and why is it so hard to understand these these seemingly, you know rules that come fall falling from the sky seemingly at random but i, I will yeah. say and obviously you know everyone knows i'm neutral but i would say that hamilton fans have some reason to feel aggrieved and bothered by that statement that came out hopefully it, it was poorly worded and there isn't going to be like an extra fine slapped on or a grid penalty because that would seem absolutely heinous but what i will say is if if just 24 hours ago I came on this podcast and I said the FIA will look at and treat incidents differently if it's Lewis Hamilton. That would have been a crazy tinfoil hat conspiracy and I would have been called out on it. But now we have absolutely, without doubt, irrefutable proof that the FIA will look at an incident differently if it involves Lewis Hamilton. Yep, and I'm just going to remind you that I don't think he can get penalised again unless they take him to court, but it is absolutely in the rules. They're allowed to investigate these sorts of things. No, I'm glad we've got an old panel on for this next topic. 
Uh, poor, poor old Jules. He had to. Most of the Netherlands, people don't know this. People don't even realize that half of the Netherlands is completely underwater. You have to swim. You have to swim to school uphill in both directions. Poor, poor wearing Jules. Wearing clogs. Wearing, wearing clogs. That's right. Yeah. And dragging your own windmill and basket of daffodils. So you're about the same age as me, aren't you? Early 40s. Early 40s. Yeah. Um, yeah Kyle's getting on a bit. Kyle, you and my young expert race car driver, engineer, and now look at you. Look, a shallow shell of a man approaching his 40s. I've had a tough paper round, man. It's not my fault. Yeah. Well, this is it. And and talking of tough paper rounds, looking at Matt. Matt is only 27. uh, (laughs) Believe it or not. Yeah, but it's, it's windy. It's windy in Brooklyn. So we're all old sweats. So when you talk about old school stuff, like we were all raised in a time where where there wasn't health and safety. And when they started bringing health and safety in, it was, oh, health and safety's gone mad. So I'm going to be talking about, you know, the conditions the drivers in Qatar faced. And and I'll be honest, I was very harsh privately speaking to people when Logan Sargent was was talking about retiring and and then retired because that is kind of the, you know, old school, if you want to use old school as an excuse to be a bit of a curmudgeon, that was my instinct of like, well, that's your job, you know, you know, suck it up, buttercup. You know, we've all had hard jobs. You chose this one. Just get on with it. But it does turn out that the conditions were a little bit more severe than was uh, than was initially, you know, uh, seen. And by the time we got to the race review, you know, we were acknowledging that not only was it similar to Singapore in humidity and temperature, but also they were basically doing 57 qualifying laps, something that F1 has been unaccustomed to. But, you know, but, you know, Carl, we are of that generation where, people argued against seatbelts and thought that that was a, a nanny state thing to do. But the, the, I guess the, the least popular opinion on Twitter has been the absolutely excellent Martin Brundle basically coming out and saying, you know, it's the job, just get on with it. He all but, but tweeted that they should man up and uh, the internet was not happy. No. And, you know, he has half a point and I sit between halfway between his point and the quite ridiculous faux Twitter outrage yeah. that you get people sitting in their bedroom saying it's the most horrific thing ever and massively overreacting. Yes, it was extreme. Yes, but yes, it is the pinnacle of sport. It comes into the pinnacle and they're elite athletes and they are meant to be pushed. But I do very much sympathize with them. And I do believe this was a perfect storm of, as you said, it was 57 absolute qualifying laps on a track which has got so much g-force and no rest for the drivers whatsoever and personally i've been in a similar situation i've almost fainted in a race and had to come in and got pulled out of the cart when i come in and pretty much passed out i've reached that point of exhaustion and it is horrible so i was really really feeling for sergeant when he's going on the radio saying i don't think i can do this anymore and i'm just like oh yeah i kind of i kind of semi understand where where he is but it's absolutely awful but you know, there is there is a limit. We shouldn't have this huge knee-jerk reaction of they should never go in hot conditions yeah. at all. But I genuinely think if it wasn't an 18-lap limited stint on the tyres, that I don't think this would have happened. Yeah. I think it was a normal race that they would have been a bit more okay. So I actually think that there might have been, you know, an opposite effect where because of that culture of, well, you just got to man up. You just got to suck it up. You just got to... I, I think a lot of the drivers pushed it way further than was safe. So I, I've been in not a driving situation, but I have been in a, you know, a very thick, 
nuclear, uh, biological and chemical attack suit and respirator in boiling hot conditions where there was a lot of pressure to not quit and not give up. And everyone was there not wanting to be the one to go, I, I need to be the one to call this and, 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 and get out of here. And then eventually we had just the guy just fully, you know, just collapse and we went, oh, man. Yeah, I should have called this earlier. We had to get like helicopter uh, evac. They came and took the guy and I said, right, we'll get on as well. And the reaction we got was, you've only lost one. So, yeah. So I think there can be the opposite effect, Matt, where I think a lot of those drivers were talking about passing out. So Stroll said he was all but passing out in the corner. So he probably should have felt more confident to pull out earlier. But I, I think there would have been enormous pressure on these these young athletes to not appear weak. Well, yeah. And I think to get to the point here, um, the driver's side of it is there is enormous pressure to finish the race. In fact, uh, there was a lovely quote from Esteban Ocon, which I swear I didn't bring because it was him. But he literally said, honestly, giving up is not an option. I would never do that. You would have to kill me to make me abandon it. And this is why the FIA has adopted this sort of we have to protect the drivers is because when it comes to making these sorts of rational decisions, they're toddlers. And this would obviously be you could look at examples like Nicky Lauda abandoning after his accident in the rain and say, well, no, occasionally drivers do make grown up decisions. I'm not saying it's always the case, but it's frequently the case. Look, if you're driving and you feel dizzy and you think you're passing out and your response to that is, oh, I'm going to keep on driving and you're just on no. a public motorway. Well, guess yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. That's really <laughs> unacceptable and it should be equally unacceptable in Formula One. Having said that, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here and say I agree with almost everything Martin Brundle said. Okay, so I, I'm just going to defend. Yeah, I was going to defend him just a little bit because um, a because the, the reason that a lot of those drivers didn't quit is is because of idiots like me and the view I had during the race where I was like, oh, just get on with it. You chose to do that job. The, the Martin Brundle comment is, it's races like Qatar and uh, and very rainy days which make F1 drivers look like the heroes and athletes they are. Absolutely don't buy into the weak view that we shouldn't put them through this kind of challenge. Check out Senna in Brazil, Stuart um, at rainy Nürburgring, louder post-crash. So I think if he hadn't have put weak view... If he'd have just said absolutely don't buy into that we shouldn't put them through this kind of challenge, I think he would have probably got away with that. But look at his generation of drivers where they were facing a far higher mortality rate. They were in, you know, looking at drivers now and you look at them with the power steering, those 80s, 90s drivers must be looking at the things they were having to wrestle. No, you know, no, uh, what do you call it? No assist, no steering assist. Uh, very little safety, and they must look at it and go, well, they're a little bit pampered compared to what we did. Uh, yes, they are, but also these current drivers are driving cars that have got way more downforce and they're pulling way more lateral G. The, the cars are also a lot heavier and a bit more cumbersome to throw around. And and yeah, so he had a point, but I don't think... And also the drivers now are a lot more fit than they used to be back in the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, Gihar Berger said he never used to train at all which I found amazing. And they were always spent when they got out of the cars. It was Schumacher that pushed the sport on with the fitness. So I think it's an unfair comparison really between them. Now, what happened in Qatar? Yes, it probably was a bit too extreme when you saw all of the drivers that knackered after, after the race and you know they they how much they train and how fit they actually are, then that was the actual 
limit and maybe we do need to look at what time of year we race in really hot environments and the nature of the circuit and what we can do with cooling the drivers i know in nascar they have cooling coming into their um coming into their helmets at the back and stuff so maybe we need to look into more cooling in the cars but yes it was a bit too extreme i don't want a knee-jerk reaction they should be pushed it should be extremely physical and the best should rise to the top but that was maybe a little bit over the line yeah and i'd like to add to what carl just said is the 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 current day's cockpits they are so much different than the ones that brundle raced in in the days of brundle your shoulders were above your above your your cockpit so you you'd get yeah. a lot of ventilation just from from the air and these these nowadays these cockpits the the drivers are built in well we all know we all know what it's like so i think um i want to go with with Kyle's perfect storm but on the other hand i also felt like wasn't this to be foreseen and of course you can always predict weather etc and on saturday evening it was it was okay mm. but on the other hand i had a look and um when the football world cup or soccer if you want um was going to be hosted in qatar um it was last winter but also already in 2015 they decided to to uh, schedule that world cup in end of november begin and whole of december because of the heat and um you'd think that maybe fom and fia could have done something kind of similar thinking mm. and i put on maybe a little bit of a tinfoil hat but then you know if oh, you here, let's in, hear it let's hear it if you okay let's hear it. no what's your tinfoil hat come on all right qatar you know originally wasn't uh, a formula 1 track uh, they weren't hosting formula 1 races and they only entered the scene because of covid in 2021 they were some kind of last resort like oh apparently there's no COVID in Qatar and we can race there, you know. So they weren't supposed to return. But then all of a sudden, Qatar thought, well, we'd want to. And they are paying the highest fee of, uh, of fees paid for, uh, by circuits to be on the calendar. And all of a sudden, they're there from this year on for 10 years. They need to be there. They need to have a spot on the calendar. So I wonder, mm-hmm. did FIA, did FOM really not pay attention to uh, what happened in the football world when all of a sudden they had a World Cup in winter instead of summer? Did they not think by themselves like, hmm, maybe, but if you already have a stuffed calendar in December uh, and Qatar needs to be there because of all the money, just, you know, squeeze them in in, in, in early October, see what happens. Oh, yeah. And then by doing that, maybe let's create a problem which we want to, solve and have a solution for already like oh look we can't race in qatar in october we need to stretch our calendar we need to race until december because else it's too hot understand <laughs> so yeah i honestly jules i think that in 10 years time we will see that the f1 season will run from from spring and it will roll through a small winter break and then end in february but that's exactly what they need to do. Liberty understands we we have a generation of new fans. They aren't going to sit and wait if we have a last race mid-October and the start of the next season on the third week of March, no. like you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not they know it. these no. people don't sit around for five months doing nothing. They need to keep the narrative going. So I think you're right. We, we're moving towards that kind of planning 
to mm-hmm. keep these these younger generations engaged, to keep a narrative uh, going for them, yeah. because else, you know, it's not going to work. It will basically be a year-round sport with a break for Ramadan, summer and Christmas. And I think that will be the future ongoing of sport, Matt. But look, I think I agree with Kyle here. I, I, they Without those intense stints, they'd have got away with the heat. So unless they're planning to, well, let's hope they're not, unless they're planning to do more forced pit stops to make them do those kind of stints, this is really a non-issue because it should never happen again. Well, it'll only never happen again if we don't have the combination of heat and humidity that we saw in Qatar. And now I have done a pretty extensive investigation into this. And aside from wanting to defend Brundle as basically being right, the only thing he was wrong about was the specific challenge here in the sense that what is generally described as the wet bulb temperature, that's a temperature at which water stops evaporating, crossed over to the actual environmental uh, conditions that we saw at Qatar. And and I asked this question, well, why didn't we hear, hear this complaint in the sprint race? It's shorter, true, but it's also equally as fast and violent because it's only one stent, no pit stops. You don't really have to save tires there. And the answer is simple. The humidity was 61% on Saturday, 73% on Sunday with the with the air temperature of a 31C. And we get quickly to the point of how hot is it in the cockpit? Well, it turns out it's hot enough that water stops evaporating. And when water stops evaporating, your body cannot cool itself. And you run towards heat exhaustion, which very easily matches the symptoms that we heard these drivers reporting. In fact, I think two-thirds of them wound up going to the medical center before all was said and done. So what, when, we, when Kyle talks about a perfect storm, it's not just a perfect storm of, oh, they had to work harder than usual. And in fact, Max Verstappen himself thought it was going to be an issue regardless. But we're also talking about the fact that they were in a situation, which is an easily measurable situation, where the wet bulb temperature meant their sweat wasn't going to evaporate, never mind sitting in a cockpit where you have massive heat soak from the electrics underneath and from the internal combustion engine. You have driver cooling ducts that are barely effective because it's a high-speed track and there's a huge high-pressure wake in front of the front wing, which makes that duct less efficient. That you're oftentimes in yaw, which makes it even less efficient. And the simple matter of the fact is they're not even required to have driver cooling ducts. And at the same time, you have these cockpits meant to prevent buffeting at high speeds. So people's helmets don't choke them to death, as used to happen. So that means the faster you go, the less air you get in the cockpit. And we heard multiple driver complaints about no air in the cockpit. So they have no cooling air, no convection cooling is possible. The ambient temp and humidity means they can't evaporate sweat, and they're working the hardest they've ever had to work. Yeah, this is a situation you should not ever be racing in. And if there's a real takeaway from it, it's that driver cooling has always been about the last thought any team has and if the FIA really wants to change something that's where they should start well they could just man up kyle <laughs> um i haven't got a customary motor gp comment in for a while but this same situation <laughs> happened Don't. a few weeks ago at the indian grand prix which is at the old 
good circuit and the riders all on the Friday went to the governing body and were like, this is too hot. This is too extreme and too physical. We don't think we're going to last the race like we can't. And they actually shortened the race as a result of all of the riders raising concerns saying it's too hot. And as a result of that, Aprilia have now started working on a cooling duct for the riders when they're tucked down into the bubble. It was 50C into the bubble. So they've now started to make a cooling duct to cool the riders down a little bit. Where was this? In case it happens in the future. It was at India in the, um, at the Bud Circuit, the Formula One used to go to. And it was like super hot. So they actually reduced the race length. Now, Button came out, I think it was today, saying that the drivers need to speak up. If they start having concerns at Grand Prix like this again in the future, they probably need to say, look, you need to reduce the race distance to stop us getting to this critical point. But I don't remember hearing the drivers saying that this is going to be seriously critical. So Matt's point was very good. It just, it, they had this bizarre condition where they got the wet bulb temperature and they couldn't actually compete, but we do need to do something about driver cooling. Then maybe I would be, wouldn't be surprised if there was a rule mandating a minimum requirement of driver cooling in the cockpit coming in the next couple of years. And I think that's what's called for. In fact, Martin's son, Alex, made the exact opposite complaint and it was exactly about this issue driver cooling and i don't think we can blame the fia here for not getting the for not knowing ahead of time this was going to be an issue nobody knew it was and this does happen in sport and this is where i really kind of want to get back to agreeing with brundle which one which one that you have to pick a side the martin comment when they encounter situations like that Dealing with them is what makes them heroes, mm. whether they retire like Logan Sargent did or whether they carry on like certain other drivers did. It's the, it's not a test you want to put them through, but sometimes it happens. And that's why we admire them so much. Because they go places we can't. Sort of. I mean, the, is, is the here's a fundamental question. Is part of the driver skill being able to withstand very, very ridiculously physical things? Or, or is the driver skill being able to point your race car in the right way to go around a racetrack quickly? So you can fundamentally decide what kind of challenge you want because you could say, okay, uh, the steering wheels, which currently I think somebody had said they're about 15 to 20 newton metres. Uh, they, they have force that they have to turn the wheel and you could say, all right, well, it's 50. Have it as, have it as 50 and only people with massive shoulders huge great lats and biceps can can steer the steering wheel so you could you could make there's no reason why you couldn't make that the physical challenge of f1 so it's no different to going now 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 a driver has to withstand 57 laps of constant high g in 60 degree temperatures in high humidity above the wet bulb temperature whatever it was matt said you know that's just as ridiculous as saying okay uh, actually before they get into the car they've got to do a bunch of pull-ups so like you, you can just make it less physical. Is the physical challenge, Jules, something that people care about? Like I've never really cared which driver is the fittest driver. It's only because Schumacher, you know, made knocked cigarettes out of everyone's hands that they started caring about fitness. But it's never been a thing. Like if if you had to end up being an Olympic level athlete to be a any kind of F one driver, that would cut the pool down. I'd be less interested in it. You know the. The thing with this is it would just add another element that is invisible to us uh, TV viewers. And there's already so much going on underneath uh, the the hoods of these cars that we can't see. Um, So it shouldn't be a a physical sport uh, primarily. Yeah. 
it should it should be about driving skills it should be about uh, focus it should be about uh, seeing gaps it should be about uh, eye hand coordination well all of that it shouldn't be about oh uh, how many miles have you run or have you slept in a heat chamber yeah. etc <laughs> yeah, yeah i agree and and um, by the way um, you know that pause as you were uh, quickly were translating to yourself it was really interesting hearing you on the dutch podcast is it called um, the pit, pit lane reporter uh, race reporter. Race reporter. I beg your pardon. Um, with Lucas uh, Deacon and um, yeah. and to hear you in your native Dutch unleashed was magnificent. So we do appreciate <laughs> you, um, you know, translating everything to English for us. Um, so if you are Dutch My and you pleasure. want to go and check them out, they're a, a very good Dutch podcast. In fact, we've had we've had Lucas on here in the past. All right, let's um, let's move away and um, let's move on to the rest of the. Big dirty news. I realised there wasn't a the in there. All right, where do we go first? Okay, so we have got basically, I think there is a big conflict between the FIA and FOM, and they seem to be butting heads on everything. But first, let's um, let's get this little uh, rumour mill thing out of the way. Because, right, there was this guy and he was like on Reddit and he's like, Guy, guys, I totally don't know how to break this to you, but I was at a race car track and I was driving my race car really, really fast. And then they told me, Oi, no professionals. So I had to come into the pit lane and slow down. And so while I was in the pit lane, I was talking to this guy and he's like the big boss of some petrol company and he's like Mexican and everything. And he knew Sergio Perez's. Uh, mum's dog and that dog barked in what could only be interpreted as confirmation that Sergio Perez is going to retire and announce it at the Mexican Grand Prix which means Jules that it's absolutely true um <laughs> caught me by surprise there Spenners <laughs> okay Matt absolutely true uh, yeah of course because everything on Reddit and the internet generally speaking is true that's why we don't have to worry about what we say on Twitter anymore um is this about Perez retiring. Yes. Did, was it too fast? Did no one catch what I was saying? I was in the live chat, sorry. Um, but, uh, uh, I, I actually, um, it makes sense. I don't think it's true, but I think it makes perfect sense, actually. You know, if he doesn't get second in the championship uh, and potentially loses his drive with Red Bull, Marco's been taking pot shots at him in the press constantly. Why would you want to be in that situation under pressure? He must realise himself now that he he's struggling. He He's never going to match for Snappen. He's an extremely good driver. Would he want to go back to a less competitive team? Wouldn't it be nice to end his career on a sort of a relative high of being near the front and in second in the championship? So it kind of makes sense. Do I want to see him go? No, I don't. You know, but but it would make sense to do a Rosberg maybe. Uh, to, yeah, well, that was very different circumstances. Rosberg left in, uh, you know, in, in, he nicked one and ran, didn't he? But that's a very different circumstance to, and, and if Perez had nicked a championship, he should absolutely have retired. But the problem that people are, are facing, uh, Jules, I think with Perez is no one can imagine it getting any better. Exactly. And I can imagine he feels the same after this season. Uh, we do remember him from the first couple of races this season and during winter when he said he was going to launch a title bit. He felt like he could do it, but it didn't really materialize ever since Miami, I think. It was, Miami was the death blow, wasn't it? But he's, he begged, yeah. apparently, to go back to the pre-Barcelona spec car that he was getting on with. And they said no, because and that makes sense to not have two different specs of car running because... I, I, just logistically, you know, what, what spares do you bring? You'd have to double up. But he was clearly comfortable before then, before Miami. And then and then Miami was 
it was it was just it was a monumental drubbing. But then the question is, did he really feel that car was better than the version he's driving now? Or is this a mental thing thinking like, oh, back then with the car, uh, mm. which it was like back then, I could still fight Max and I was uh, faster than him or I could match him. I don't know. It's, I think it, it could be more something in his head than something that could actually materialize because it would also mean that RBR would be you know, managing two cars, one that's up to date, that's upgraded with all the things they've developed this mm. season and one that would be almost like the one they started in the first race of the season. I think you'd have to look at Perez from this perspective that he he was close to matching Max yeah. in the first couple of races for the last two seasons. And it just, you know, it slipped out of his hands. Mm. And next season, it'll be 34 years old. He's ended this season. He's already 200 points behind Max. And it looks like it's going to be... Er- near 250 um last season he was 150 points behind the season before that 200 points also so in fact he's never been that close yeah. and can he can he mentally you know get into this place where he can load himself up during winter and again feel genuinely no. feel like I'm no. going to match him. No, that, well, that's the... Well, oh, can he can he get to the point where he feels like he might be able to? Yeah, maybe. I don't think he can get to the place where he, he would get to, but um, get to that point where he can actually do it. But uh, just then, I was going to delete basically the whole panel failing to get going on this topic. Um, hello, live chat. It turns out that our patron live chat was distracting all three of them while I was delivering my intro to this segment, and that's why they were all surprised. So, uh, extra homework for all of you. Thank you for joining us, though, and they are our lovely patrons, without whom uh, we would have to prioritise other things. So if you want to join them in the live chat in our patron Slack group and get an ad-free feed on your RSS, on your podcast app, then check out patreon.com forward slash Apex, and we'd really appreciate if you consider supporting Missed Apex. It's the 15th. So if you sign up now, you won't get the first $5 or whatever billed until the end of the month. So you can listen to our patron-only episodes pre-Cota and pre-Mexico, and then hopefully forget completely to to cancel it. But please go and check it out. There's a link in your show notes uh, below. Kyle. Yeah, so I, if I was Perez, if I was Sergio and I was in there, I would, I would want to, I would want to get myself out of that situation. I mean, we always say F1 drivers go in there and they all thoroughly believe that they are the best ever, the best that can be. But that can't be true. They're kidding themselves. He must surely know now. He sees Max's data. He knows what Max can do with the car. And as Jules said, he goes, he starts strongly. He started strongly the last couple of years and then it's gone away as Red Bull have developed the car to be faster. Now, is that developing around Max? You can argue either way. They've developed to get the peak performance and Max can deal with it and get that out of it. And Perez can't. So he was really strong at the start of the season when the car was a bit more understeery, less on the nose, less peak performance. Now they've gone for the peak performance. Max can extract that. Perez can't mm. and he's drifted away. And now, as as we've seen in the last few races, almost a desperation to his driving, the dive bombing, oh, yeah, the lunges, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the non-accountability, I think, is not omitting mistakes. He's under a load of pressure. I mean, do you really think after a race when he's getting slated in the press, he's having his own bosses slating him in the press, he's under loads and loads of pressure. Do you really think he goes home and goes to bed a happy mind, a happy man with a clear mind? 
I don't think so. Yes, he's earning millions of pounds driving a Formula One car, wonderful, but he's gone in there trying to be a racing driver and have this facade of, yes, I can match and I can do it. And I think he knows deep down in himself that he probably can't in that seat. So I would personally want to get myself out of that situation. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Well, I'm going to just try one last defense of Sergio Perez, right? It's too big a gap. Like the gap is too big. The way it's switched from People genuinely saying, could he hold, sustain this and hold a challenge to that performance gap at Miami to being on average over half a second a lap on race pace behind Max Verstappen? It's too big a gap. That is not the gap between Verstappen and Perez if you plonk them both in a McLaren. And it's sus. So, there's got to be so, there's something. It's not, he didn't just go, ah, oh, I got tired. Ah, oh, do you know what? I'm a bit fed up with this. Oh, I'm not quite in the. He didn't forget how to drive a Grand Prix car. Guy's been on the podium a gajillion times. He's a multiple winner over multiple seasons in multiple different teams. His performances might be peaky, but they're not a fluke. And this—that's just my last point on this, Matt. That I will wait to the, for the memoir to come out because the gap is too big. It's too big. Yeah, I would normally agree with you because we always agree on everything. Always. Jeez. But in this instance, I got to say what's going on reminds me of, well, as having seen it as a trumpet player, like having seen golfers, like, do you have the yips? No. And then they put the ball 35 yards off the green and take a big divot out of it. Okay. Yeah. You don't have the yips. It, to me, he's lost. You don't ask for a return to an older chassis unless you're lost. This reminds me of, uh, do you remember that time that Williams put like all the aerodynamic equipment on their car to test it. And they literally like brought last year's car because they just had no idea. They were completely lost. Perez right now is a driver that is lost and he needs to get back to something that he can recognize. This is the problem he's having. 
And the issue for him, as you point out, is not just that he has a clear target, which is he has to finish second or he's out to be replaced by Ricardo. At least that's the reporting we've seen. Okay. Oh, yeah. Go on. Yeah, that that's some that's some new reporting. Yeah. But that there's also an internal war going on between Marco and Horner that's in larger sense tied to the fate of the Red Bull organization post Dietrich Mateschitz. So he is in the worst possible place at the worst possible time. And he is he is lost. He knows he can do it. And what Red Bull really want, and I believe them when they say this, I don't believe a lot of what they say, but I do believe them on this. They, you know, Horner has said, we no longer have a driver pairing like other driver pairings. They need someone to defend their world constructors place next season when McLaren and Mercedes and mm-hmm. Ferrari are all a lot, lot closer. And that's what he's going to have to prove to them over the next five races, or else it will be day done for him. Or, or Perez's massive slump in form coincided with them deciding that Daniel Ricciardo could come back and they put him in the Alpha Towery. Then Perez's performance goes off a cliff. And now they can say, well, if you don't finish P2, we'll get rid of you and put Ricciardo in the car. The thing we wanted to happen Anyway, play the bumper, then they can't argue. <laughs> no, the bumper's going. It's too late. Let's see. Kyle, do you remember when I'm old enough to remember? <laughs> I'm old enough to remember when the FIA president, uh, Mohammed Ben Salayam, said that he was going to step back because he'd peed everyone off. And they were like, stop, stop, stop saying things. Please stop saying things. He'd go, oh, yeah, I'm stepping back. I'm stepping back. Sort of doing the opposite of that now. He's very much stepping forward yeah surprising so i presume this is about him basically telling fom and liberty <laughs> yeah um no we've approved them and andretti think you, yeah yeah andretti and thinking like we've approved andretti and we don't think you can do anything about it so that's a good point i was going to say that myself he was supposed to be stepping back <laughs> somebody's put another 20p into benny and he started talking again <laughs> and i don't know what's going on basically yeah. so um um to be honest it's like when your parents argue for this and so, you know, that's never good. But in this case, I actually think before, I think for formula one, me personally, I'm incredibly disillusioned with the governance of formula one and how it's come about in the last sort of four or five years. Um, I think this could be a good sign that they're locking, they're locking horns. Cause I think we'd all love to see an 11th team on the grid. Yes. Now his basically contesting and all the other teams, you need to get them out of the conversation. The other teams should not have a say. And can I say the F word, please go? No, yes. oh, fine, fine, fine. Kyle franchise. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're all saying they're in this self-made franchise now. And it's like, no, you shouldn't even have an input to the discussion. The dilution fees are crazy. I know Matt's got, more info on this than i so yeah i think benny now speaking up against fom is actually a good thing i want to see them clash and the fact that the head of the fia has come out and said well uh, we've approved them we can't see how you can deny them i think is quite a big statement Uh, now matt we have thrilled our 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 fellows here in our patron in our so not in our patron in our thousands of messages in our panel whatsapp WhatsApp chat because (laughs) We fundamentally agree with the facts, but um, in fact, look, look, just just to sort of lay it out, there's a two-stage process with uh, Andretti's application. So Andretti applied 
to the FOM, with, which is run by the FIA president, and Andretti have basically passed all the criteria to to do it. And for the FOM to say, no, you can't join us or you're not going to approve, we're not going to approve you, they would have to, under anti-competition laws and to not butt heads with the European Union, would have to find some kind of safety reason to to deny them. And, and I don't think they have that safety reason. And Mohammed Ben Salayam wants Andretti to join or certainly just wants to ruin the Christmas dinner for 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 FOM for Stefano Domenicali and seems like hell bent on doing whatever will upset Liberty Media at the moment. So technically, that's it. The FIA has approved Andretti's application, so they can go racing. But then it gets complicated, Matt, because then they have to form a commercial agreement with Liberty Media, and Liberty Media doesn't necessarily have to offer them a commercial agreement, or or there's no guarantee that the negotiations for that commercial agreement to be on telly and stuff will be successful. So the process is far from over. Well, in the sense that, yeah, the logistics, etc., and so on and so forth, need to be negotiated. Well, no, that's not done yet. That does take some time, and it does need to happen. But in terms of Liberty's legal ability to deny Andretti a place on the grid by citing commercial reasons, this is the nut of our disagreement. I've gone back and looked at it, and I'm pretty sure the EU will come after Liberty just as they did the FIA back in 99, 2000, 2001, if they, in a de facto way, keep Andretti off of the grid. So, so this, and this is where we disagree, because I don't think the EU would get involved in that, because they would get involved if, if, the, if, if the FIA had said, no, we disapprove your application. Whereas now, it's, it's perfectly ex- reasonable that, well, they just might not agree a commercial uh, agreement. So what's the EU going to say? Oh, oh, you're being unreasonable, Liberty. You have to take less money. Because what Liberty will say is, well, we're not actually stopping you joining the grid. But since there's no commercial agreement, there's no, uh, there's no obligation for them to show Andretti's cars. So they could cut away every time an Andretti car comes into shop, for example, be super petty about it. And then that would make Andretti's job difficult because it would be hard to find sponsors. So effectively, the lack of a commercial agreement would keep them off the grid. But actually, legally, they could go onto the grid. And, and this, is, this is the problem because I think that there is a will from Liberty, and it's a guess, but it's a, there's, it seems to be a reluctance from Liberty and the teams in cahoots who are all singing from the same song sheet. And you've got Lawrence Stroll saying, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it and all that kind of stuff. So they all seem to be together. And Horner came out and said, well, if they brought their own engine, I'd have no objection. But since they haven't got an engine, uh, I don't like it. Th- that's where I think it, it falls down. And I think FOM, uh, FOM, Liberty, can put enough of a spanner in the works without actually saying no. And, and you are more than entitled to think that. And we differ here. We're talking about EU law, Articles 81 and 82, if anyone wants to go look those up. But the reason I continue to think that, and I'll just share, this is, yeah, not a lawyer. The reason (laughs) I think that is if you go back and read the original um, statements, they notified the commercial side of the FIA back then, because FIA commercial and legal were all one. They talk a lot about removing the commercial so that competitors won't be kept off of the grid. 
And I think it's not a very far leap for anyone looking at it to say that, oh, well, what was the intent of the original <laughs> agreement? Well, it was okay, clearly okay. keep this exact situation from happening. And I appreciate your being very clever, Liberty lawyers. But uh, yeah. yeah, we just made Apple change their charging port. So <laughs> we're really not going to go for this. Okay, so just that, before we go to Carl, I just want to say <laughs> Liberty will not be keeping Andretti off the grid. So they absolutely are not doing anything to block Liberty being on the grid. They just won't be making a commercial agreement. So, uh, Kyle. Yeah, now I think I read somewhere, it was either yesterday or the day before, that I think Ferrari now are starting to make some positive noises between Andretti. Um, And yeah, their Alpine engine deal has probably expired and fallen through. But Ferrari have come up now and said, I think they'll be willing to give them an engine supply. And I think it's a bit rich of some of the teams, particularly Horner, saying that they should bring their own engines with them and an engine supplier with them when essentially they've been a customer engine team no they've probably built their from own like team day from one. scratch they first they had their very own tag hoyer which they developed in a watch factory and then <laughs> they now have red bull powertrains which have nothing to do with honda and they better not do because they had a whole engine freeze to help them catch up so that had better have been from scratch it yep. was it wasn't and- from scratch that's the honda power unit <laughs> and also with liberty FOM, I think it's incredibly short-sighted to try to keep it down to 10 teams. There is 12 slots that they've sort of closed down. We could potentially have 12 teams, but from a commercial standpoint, it doesn't make much sense uh, to me unless they're just using it as a cash cow to make as much money. I mean, that's clearly what they're doing. But if for the longevity of the sport, you've got 10 teams, what happens if there's um, a bit of a financial crisis again and Mercedes decide to pull out? They're then left with nine teams. You're not going to have another team ready, ready to jump waiting on the uh, sidelines. And that's bad for the sport. More teams would be better for the sport as a whole and, and the longevity of the sport, in my humble, honest opinion. So I'm frustrated that they're trying to block this and really disappointed in all of the other teams of trying to get in the way and basically being quite selfish and trying to keep keep it all to themselves. Um, apart from now, it seems like Ferrari are now starting to make some positive noises. You know who agrees with you, Kyle? The CEO of Roden Racing, uh, one really? of the denied teams, has said the following thing. I mean, look, it's crazy that the actual teams would even have any input into the decision to bring in a new team. That's like the inmates running the asylum. He also went through and absolutely demolished their dilution fee. He says, what is it, $900 million a year? 90 million a team, that's $90 million. Problem sorted. They're bringing more than that already. I don't know what these teams are complaining about, but you're also right in that for all they get wrong, I think we could agree like the track limits were much better policed this time around. We can talk about that later. But, but Benny has basically said, look, they need to remember we're the landlord here. We lease Formula One to Liberty. They are the tenant, and it's they need to remember that we have we have a commonality of interest here, but at the end of the day, it's FIA sport, not liberties. Oh, see, this is this is what Kyle was saying. You know, it's mum and it's mum and dad, mum and dad arguing, and I've got a feeling that they're they're heading for divorce because basically, dad after therapy agreed. That he would just, you know, stop sticking his nose into everything and just be a bit more chill. But dad is showing absolutely no chill whatsoever. And this family just isn't working.
Okay, bit of track news then. So, Jules, you were talking about Qatar having a 100-year deal or whatever it is they've signed. Um, but Spa only gets one. Silverstone only gets one. It seems like the popular tracks seem to be begging for a year at a time, a rolling contract. But you turn to some of the less popular tracks and they've suddenly got these huge multi-year deals. I think this makes people sad. What's the skinny on Spa? Yeah, so Spa landed a deal until 2025 uh, this week. They already had uh, their uh, contract for next season, but they keep getting only one-year yeah. extensions from uh, from from. They're, uh, the, bo- they're the Bottas to- of tracks. Yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and as you say, like Qatar and, and all these other new tracks, they get ten-year deals. Uh, some of them without even being raced on yet. And with a lot of fans who like the the traditional tracks or the evergreen tracks, uh, this this doesn't sit well. And and you can imagine why, uh, because they are they're often more authentic and they have turns with actual names and recognizable <laughs> runoffs, etc. So um, thing is, um, Spa, whether we like it or not, is actually. Uh, constantly filling in a gap that's left by South Africa. Uh, South Africa was uh, planned to be on the calendar already uh-huh. this year, and it didn't make it. So Spa uh, was added to that uh, to that uh, um, the, the roster that in that part. Yeah, yeah, they they got allocated, so to say, and that's that's what keeps happening to them because South Africa doesn't get their their financial package uh, uh, together. Yeah. Um, they keep filling in that spot with Spa, which which doesn't sound very promising for no. for the the fans yeah. of that track because it would mean that whenever South Africa uh, is ready, uh, Spa could disappear. And you'd say like, yeah, well, why don't they just ditch one of the other tracks? Then Spa, it's so cool. Thing is, um, Spa has uh, has had a, a financial um, difficulty. Uh, for many, many years, uh, government is all, all, always um, uh, funding them for uh, for a part. Uh, they've had massive re- reconstruction in the last couple mm. of years. And the fee they pay to be on the calendar is among the lowest of the whole calendar. Only Monaco and Imola pay less than Spa. And you need to think of amounts of around 15 million for Monaco and Imola. And then Spa pays twenty-two million, but as I said before in the in this episode, Qatar pays fifty-five million a year. That is Oof. American dollars. So you can imagine with all kinds of of tracks and cities that are, are wanting to get on this calendar, and Farm can 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 be like, yeah, well, we could get all these tracks for fifty-five million a year, and then mm. Spa comes, yeah, hi, we'd like to pay twenty-two. If yeah. possible, oh, you know it's 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 a it's a, a, a easy picture to paint. So at least we have them until twenty twenty five, and uh, the Belgians themselves they are optimistic because they say we've improved our infrastructure because Spa was a hell to get to or to get away from, uh, worse than Silverstone, um, <laughs> and they have have put a lot of effort in 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 the fan engagement and 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 uh, the things to do besides uh, the racing in uh, during those weekends but um yeah it's 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 a it's a difficult difficult position oh, wow. they're in because their unique selling point is the authenticity of their track 
Mm, the nostalgia. So it's almost like F1 is just staying with Spa until the new sexy thing comes along. I promise my marriage isn't in trouble. I don't know why all the analogies are about marriages breaking up. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned the logistics in Spa in Silverstone. Every time I think about even going for a Friday practice, I think about the parking and having to do the park and ride to get into Silverstone. It's a nightmare. But look, I'm a massive hypocrite when it comes to these these old tracks because when it comes to Monaco and people go, oh, yeah, but it's part of the history of F1. I'm like, no, history means nothing. Stop being a stick in the mud. Monaco is obviously not suitable. You need to move on. We need the Tilkadromes and the proper tracks. But you say get rid of Spa or Silverstead or Hungara Ring, and I, I, will, I will get in the ring with you. No headguards. Because I'll go, how can you possibly have Formula One without Spa, without Silverstone, without Hungara Ring? How, how, can you, how can you kick Barcelona off? But you could make that same argument. You could say, look, Barcelona and Hungara Ring are, are dinosaurs in terms of, of how, they, how they can work with these Formula One cars. Yet I put up that, that same defence, the same, the, the same Monaco defence that I then shout at when people want to want to keep Monaco. Um, but, but I think, you know, th- there is there is something to be said to that hardcore of traditional tracks that if you just were to get rid of all the European tracks, I mean, that would hurt F1 significantly. So how far can they can they go down that line, Matt, of just saying, well, you know, we, we're going to take the money. Sorry, Europe. Well, I think they can go reasonably far. The issue for me with Spa compared to some of the other tracks that you've thrown out there is that it almost always produces good racing because of the fundamental design of the track. It's also, I think, important because of its length. There are not very many tracks that long anymore, and it fundamentally changes certain things about the strategy of the racing, particularly if there's safety cars and so on and so forth. But most importantly... They've made a huge investment in upgrading that racetrack. There's new grandstands. They've changed the profiling of the dangerous corners. And I don't know. There's a lot of tracks I think could come and go from the European season. And you'd be like, oh, right. Yeah, I remember this historic track, but I don't miss it too much. All right, Kyle. Spa. Oh, go on. I was going to say Spa is one of those tracks that you would really miss if it wasn't there. All right, cool. Well, let's let's which European tracks... Can we can we get rid of? Can we do that? So Monaco, I'll get rid of Monaco, Kyle. Okay, uh, Kyle, Imola. Uh, yeah, just because. Well, it's not very good for modern day Formula One. It's a bit too tight yeah. and twisty. But the last couple of races we have there would have had some sort of weather. I well, know we haven't a couple of races. It was just the last race because of all the terrible raining and flooding in the region. Oh yeah, but yeah, Imola, yeah. Imola can go. Yeah, I think the when they went there before was it last year was it twenty one when mm. we were last oh no twenty two when we were last there we've both had a we've had sort of inclement weather conditions and ended up having quite a good race but it's not really suited to modern F one um, I don't know which other ones I'd get rid of um, what about Hungara yeah, Ring that's always throwing up great racing to be fair hasn't it Phew. so it'd keep oh, don't Hungara have to Ring oh uh, yes. <laughs> Zandvoort we can get rid of obviously Jill Zandvoort can go well believe it or not. Uh, I I think that track should be on on the list to to ditch ASAP because what Carl says about Imola I think that goes even uh, how do you say this even more so doubly so even more so yeah. for for Zandvo. Um apart from from the whole oh look how, uh, what a great Dutch party orange. it is and look at all the orange yeah I mean. <laughs> Hardly any interesting races. It's it's wow. so tiny. It feels like it shrunk because you washed yeah. it on too high a temperature. 
I, you know? I'll defend it slightly in that, like, it, is, it looks like a roller coaster. That, like, the new, the, the was it, is it new, the banking in sector one? That, like, it, that's yeah. a genuinely. Yeah, that's been designed for, yeah. for the return of Formula One, uh, especially. Okay, that is a um, genuinely interesting corner where you go, actually, we're going to turn up this weekend. I don't know what line they're going to take through there. True, but. Has there ever been an overtake in that corner? No, that's no. not possible. Has there ever been an interesting overtake on that straight because of that cur- turn? Don't really think so. I, oh, I got yeah. a, I got an interesting one. I'm on, curious then. what you guys or a live chat says. What about Baku, Azerbaijan? <laughs> oh man, we argue about this a lot. I hate Baku as a Grand Prix track. I think unless you get a crash, that race always just you know filters out. So if yep. you have a well-timed safety car, it's fine. If not, it's dull. Matt? My only defense of Zandvoort would be it gave us Liam Lawson. Doing what? And in that very banked corner, racing oh, Formula right, One yeah, cars because yeah. oh. Ricardo had his So crash. your defense is that the Sector One banked corner injured Ricardo. That's your, that's your defense of it. Basically, I, yes. I think it's an interesting track, yes. But it's too, it's too small. It does look like a roller coaster. But if you jump on it like in a sim, Kyle, you know, you go, that's a, it's a genuine racing challenge. Oh, it's amazing. And actually... You know, I kind of half agree with Jules, but in Dan Vort's defense this year, the race caused by the weather was was pretty amazing. I think it had the most overtakes almost in history for the Grand Prix. It was crazy a number of overtakes. And yes, that's because there was people on <laughs> dry tires and the wet people on wet tires in the dry yeah. and everything. It it was a, yeah, a perfect storm to get it a good race, uh, but it was the races there have actually been quite good. Been I thought it was right. a disaster when it was right. first put yeah. on. And yeah, it's a great sort of a hot lap. And it's more of a qualifying circuit, really, isn't mm. it? If it stays completely dry, it's more of a qualifying circuit. So yeah, um, I would like to see Zandvoort stay for a few more years. Put it this way, I think if there is no Max Verstappen on the grid, Zandvoort is not going to be on the calendar. It's possible that the Dutch support might wane if Verstappen retires. But I think we're some way off that yet. There is a missed opportunity, surely, in Europe, where, where you look at the weather here. And, and yes, we had a bit of a, a drizzly summer in the UK, but that has not been the norm. The rest of Europe had a Scorchio summer and we would have done, except the the jet stream was slightly further south than it normally is. But we have had blistering hot summers. You go to the Silverstone Grand Prix now on a a typical year and it's boiling. You know, you have to bring an umbrella to hide from the sun. You know, that Britain didn't used to be like that, by the way. So, you know, people used to, you know, come to see the Silverstone Grand Prix and go, oh, Britain's got lovely weather. No, it hasn't. We're, We're like the most overcast country in the world statistically that, that's true um but you look at now october we've gone from t-shirt weather to uh, genuinely winter weather we skipped hoodie weather altogether the problem is that if you race in these kind of conditions like we've got here today with a bit of an icy wind the tires don't work so could you have a euro tire a european tire made for cold conditions and then run the whole european season in autumn and you're nearly guaranteed to have fantastic wet racing on historic circuits. Oh, I'm a genius. Get me the FIA. Get me the number. I'm sure they'll do that. Kyle, what's the what's the downside of that? Let's just race in the rain. Um, it's going to be lots of red flag watching. They're a bit yeah. too sort of um, risk averse now, aren't they, really? So um, it's going to be lots yeah. of red flag watching, lots of delays, lots of... Uh, and we know red flags and safety cars breed more safety cars and red flags. Um, I did feel like... Uh, at some point in the summer, watching some of the Euro races with 
dodgy weather and whatnot that I spent more time sitting on the sofa watching red flags (laughs) than I did actual racing. And it was getting quite frustrating, you know, maybe back in the day, like you said, when I was a lad and safety wasn't really so much (laughs) of a concern, there was hardly any such thing as red flags. Only when there was an absolute calamity, was there a red flag? Um, but now in, yeah, the sort of quite sort of rightful sort of very safety minded sort of culture now that they're very, very trigger happy with red flags yeah. and safety cars. So I think if we race in cold, wet, <laughs> damp. So no grip um, and wet. <laughs> yeah, no grip and the wet. Uh, I think we'll get very limited amount of racing because there's going to be lots of carbon fiber strewn all over the place. Do you know, what, for a moment there, I really, I really thought I was onto something. Don't clip that. We'll not put that on the on the social media. All right, Matt, let's have a little bit of a, a look forward to then the Circuit of the Americas, which is the next race coming up. And it's way too late, but it's a lovely, a lovely time for you guys. So you get to have a nice afternoon race. And I think in the UK, I think it starts at 8, 8 p.m. I think it's 8 in the yeah. evening for us in the UK. So I it's very it's much right. an evening, uh, evening race. And I think we won't start our live stream until like half 11 or 11 o'clock i think uh, 90 minutes UK. after the race finishes no no it's, it's a about. good two hours after the race finishes because i've got i've got okay. i've got another thing to do will you prepare the show notes for us um but yeah circuit of the americas definitely one of my favorite tracks uh, on the calendar speaking of a roller coaster i absolutely love that turn one i love the fact that at the very moment they're trying to to grip down onto the apex kyle i mean you know how we pretend sim racing is exactly the same as what Formula One drivers are going through. But, it, <laughs> but honestly, even if you play it on the game, you'll see why that turn one is so challenging. At the very moment you want to be turning and biting onto the apex, you're cresting a hill. Yeah, and there's so many multiple lines in there. It's so wide and narrows down in there. It is a superb, superb turn one and multiple lines we've seen multiple moves in there we've seen multiple crashes into that corner but you're exactly right it's really 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 tough and i love the race start at turn one in kota because you could have somebody who's looking complete you know they're looking all right they're leading going in and then somebody can just send yeah. it or somebody can yeah. just have a hang out wide cut back and get back underneath them another thing about kota which we don't get so much on the sim because the tarmac has changed now and what's going to be quite poignant for this year is it's insanely bumpy. The track surface is awful. And they try to remedy the bumps by literally shaving some of the top of the track off. Uh, it got to the point, you know, sort of a, it broke Sebastian Vettel's suspension ah. a couple of years ago. You remember that when he was coming? I think it was so, so bumpy. So this is really going to hurt some cars which don't have a good ride. So it could really hurt Mercedes. Aww. Or Red Bull was struggling a bit in Singapore, weren't they, going over the curbs and the bumps? So it could hurt them. So it depends. It's really going to favour a car that rides the bumps and the curbs quite well. Um, so it's going to be interesting. We could see a bit of a shaken up field. So that's going to be a huge challenge for all of the teams. But what a, yeah, I'm I'm a massive fan of the circuit. Apart from that final sector, do not like the Mickey Mouse final <laughs> sector too much. It's too Mickey Mouse. Just do what IndyCar does and just ignore it. And just yeah, r- 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 ride around the outside. Um, something to look out for in that turn one, though, you know, from a racing point of view, is the best line takes takes longer to get all the way round the racing line to the apex than if you just fire it up the inside. But if you fire it up the inside, there's enough room on the exit to legitimately say, well, I would have made the corner. So you can, you can kind of, you can do a death bomb down the inside mm-hmm. with no real hope of exiting the corner faster, but you're technically going to make the corner. I think that, that makes it one of the, the most chaotic corners in F1. 
Yeah, a bit like what Lewis did to Rosberg in 2015, oh, if you yeah, remember that. Yeah, he yeah. just sent up the inside, donk the wheels. It was a bit of a Verstappen special, actually, <laughs> just to send and just launch it. Lewis just stayed on the track and Rosberg ended up getting pushed off. So we've seen that quite a lot into that corner and I'll expect to see a lot more this weekend. All right, Matt, what are we looking forward to then? What Basically, uh, upgrades. Uh, a lot of teams talked yeah. about upgrades and also maybe we'll end by talking about what still is up for grabs in 2023. Yeah, so we have stakes and we have things. As far as things go, I think the Haas upgrade has got to be at the top of everyone's list. This upgrade is so massive. They've rented a special garage so they could start working on the cars early and get them built up in time for the race. Three pallets worth of new parts to go with the two cars they already have. This is a fantastic story. And they're, they're, chasing, they're chasing Red Bull design, basically, um, as is Ferrari. So if you're thinking that, oh, they finally cut those apron strings, so to speak. No, not really. They're all headed the same direction. And much like Mercedes has been, they're limited by what the chassis they brought to this season. They can't do everything they want. But this car is so completely hated. Uh, Steiner said the last race of this specification ended worse than it started. That's why we are grateful that its time is up. So the people at Haas are very, very excited about it. And therefore, you should be too. I also like, speaking of uh, carbon fiber all over the track, that uh, McLaren is debuting recycled carbon fiber on their car in their attempt to become a fully circular car, i.e. one that can be built from entirely recyclable materials. Now, it's only featuring like driver branding right now, but if they like it, they're going to use it going forward, and they're going to keep on trying to um, incorporate more of it. Of course, recall they also work with B-Comp, which uses the flax grass replacement for composites as well that I think uh, front-wing end plates are now required to be made from because they cause less trouble when they break a little bit heavier though so not always a replacement for carbon fiber but the main thing has got to be we've got mercedes and ferrari very close together and we've now got mclaren that after the last race made up 34 points i believe on ferrari in a single race they're about 80 points back and ferrari about 30 points back of mercedes now this being a sprint weekend which i know immediately makes everyone happy Last one. Is it? Though. No, it isn't. The last, last one. The, no, hang on. Qatar was a sprint weekend. Yes, I know. And Circuit of the Americas is a sprint weekend as well. I'm is pretty that, sure. Is that real? Is. is that real? They've got back to back sprint weekends. You should be happy about it. What, why should I be happy about it? Well, because the FIA say so. Because I, I like sprint weekends. More races. I, we I all can't do, believe don't it. We? I can't believe they've got back to back. Like, I can. I have been substantially less whingy about it this season because, okay, I'm just trying to accept it. I'm trying to genuinely just enjoy the weekends and go, okay, I'll, I'll accept it for what it is. And <laughs> like when it comes to Hungaro, the Hungaro ring, that was a sprint weekend, wasn't it? And, uh, and we had a kiting event and I didn't check in on the Saturday once. And I think there's a couple where I, I'm just, I, I was busy enough on the Saturday that I didn't check on it. I didn't catch up on it. And it's fine. And when I could catch up on it, I really tried to absorb it, absorb it and be positive, Jules. But if you're going to do back to back sprint weekends, it's just it's too much. It's too much on a weekend. I actually caught myself today uh, when I when I realized, oh, isn't there a sprint <laughs> in, in Austin this year? But then apparently there is. And I, and I immediately I felt like dirty and guilty. Like, what are you actually 
hoping for a sprint race. Are you entertained? But <gasps> I, I must admit, this season uh, it's it's grown on me, and oh, maybe also because of the weak. lack in the in the World Drivers Championship, the lack of mm. of, of uh, tension and excitement there, <laughs> oh, that yes, these sprint yeah. races feel a bit like oh, they're loose cannons, and the oh, only okay. thing that ruins it like last time, is when half of the laps is done behind a safety car. Which seems to happen, actually, in an awful lot of the sprint races I've caught. There's an early safety car. and like, Surely it's a no-brainer to have some safety car fuel on board and just go, so how long's the sprint race? 17 laps. Why not, car? Why not just have, okay, everyone carried 25 laps, and if there's no safety car, we expect it to have eight laps of fuel left. Otherwise, you know, if we do five laps under the safety car, use it. Do you, do you like extra time? fuel ways? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who cares? Well, why, why does it make a difference how much the fuel weighs? Yeah, like, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. It's not like a sprint. extra time on, in no, football. No. Yeah, it's, it's like added time, isn't it? You've got injury time. Like, are they going to go down to s- sudden death then? Like, right, the next overtake yeah. wins the championship. <laughs> Matt, what, what, what's the, the, the difference if um, if everyone's got that same fuel penalty? That they start slower cars, man. They Mass, start every gram matters on a Formula One car. They barely put enough fuel in, and sometimes they don't. Hello, Aston. Yeah, Martin. but on it's Sunday, Fandara, on right? Sunday, they're going to start with full tanks. So what's the difference? Who cares? Uh, uh, well, the difference is, uh, well, how many people do you want to pass? Every ten kilograms is what, like, is it three tenths, Kyle? I forget. I forget the trade off. Yeah. It's something. Yeah, it's it's every ten kilograms is like three tenths. So the less fuel I put in my car the faster it goes. And so I put as little fuel in as possible until I get to the point where I can't use the okay. throttle okay. enough to well, go okay. as fast as I need Answer to. Answer me this. How many? Yes. How much overtaking can you do under the safety car for half of the sprint race? I wish you'd ask Perez about that. No? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, zing. Mm. Sorry, he kind of did that too. Uh, Alonso dropped the dime on him, by the way. Go on. When he got dinged for the safety car violation... It was Alonso that called it into Aston. He's a really? to get him in trouble. He's yeah. a dirty snitch. Alonso uh, grassing up over really. He's always. Bad. I know. Yeah. Go figure. I think Perez passed me before the safety car line. He says innocently. Okay. Okay. So Jules has like turned. You, is you, you seen the, the old old seventies <laughs> version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers when the hero find oh it's a spoiler it, you know it's fifty years old you know you know turns and it it turns out he's been possessed by aliens as well and he points to the person and goes like. <gasps> And you know, that's the big dramatic reveal. That's when Jules said, oh, I don't mind the sprint weekends now. I was like, no, Jules has been got. <laughs> he's been overtaken by, by, by Kyle. Tell me, look me in the eyes, Kyle. This is a test. Do you approve of sprint weekends? No. Okay, he's safe. He's safe. No, okay, I okay. wouldn't. But I will say this. I actually preferred them when it actually impacted the weekend. And I said something completely different on this podcast before, because yeah, yeah. I just hated them outright. I yeah. still think they're a complete and utter nonsense and trying to smash a square peg into a round hole and telling us all that we love it and we should all lap it up. But actually now the Saturday pretty much has no impact on the rest of the weekend. It's just useless. I think I put a tweet out before saying, you know, on the Friday, that was a really good Friday. Formula One resumes again on Sunday because yeah. Saturday yeah. is just completely I useless. I actually think I'd actually prefer it now if it was like the old system and it actually, you know, you start on the grid because from your positions from the sprint race, because it just, it's just meaningless. It's Mm. utterly, utterly meaningless. It's entertainment and racing for the hell of it. And if there's too much of a good thing, that good thing then gets diminished. And that's what I think the sprint does to Formula One. I mean, my taco analogy still, still resonates, Matt, doesn't it? Which is like, I, 
I'm not going to not eat the tacos. They're on the plate. I didn't want them. They're not the yep. amount of tacos I would order. But if I'm there, they're on the plate. I'm, I'm going to continue eating tacos. Yeah, I know. And Kyle says it doesn't matter. But let's face it. Max won his championship in a sprint race. How can they not matter? <laughs> uh, you can't see Kyle's face right now. But if I could describe it adequately, it would just be a treat for everyone. Let me tell you. Now, the thing about the sprint race, the only thing about the sprint race that matters this weekend is that if anything goes wrong or if everything goes right for McLaren, which also I do need to remind you is still 11 points behind Aston, although no one takes those 11 points seriously now. Um, if everything goes right for McLaren and wrong for Ferrari, we have a big battle there to the end of the year. Mm. Conversely, if the same happens from with Ferrari and Mercedes, we have a big battle. And then there's always Perez, who's trying desperately to hang on to that number two spot in the driver's championship. So there's actually a huge amount of stakes going on this weekend that have nothing to do with the person who's already won it. But absolutely, you know, if you want to watch something, a lot of things are going to be decided this weekend, I think. Anyone else annoyed with McLaren? I'm annoyed with McLaren. Why? Why? Because, firstly, because I love McLaren. But I'm annoyed well, that that's they, a good reason. Yeah, well, they came out with a, a pig, didn't they, at the beginning of the season? Quickly yeah. identified that, and then their B spec came out like, super quick. Was it yeah. Barcelona? Um, Silverstone. Was it Silverstone? Okay, so like you know, a good chunk of the way into the season, and then their second lot of upgrades basically then got them to to where they are now. Fantastic, brilliant. That's great, but it's not real. They're fighting against. They're they're peaking as. Mercedes and Ferrari are like what what are Mercedes doing they're basically saying we are bringing upgrades but they're all aimed at learning for 2024 Ferrari have done their normal thing of you know they gave up in they gave up around spa time but now Mercedes are as McLaren are fighting a, a shadow battle so yeah they look brilliant at the moment but they're not really fighting anyone and and then everyone's getting excited and thinking that McLaren are, good, are now the second best team in F1 and, and, and then that's great for McLaren. It's great for their sponsors. And they're having their moment in the sun and their drivers are getting some attention. But we're going to start the grid next season. That's not going to mean that. You know, they're not going to line up as the second best team next season. And it's just really annoying how many people think that is going to happen. So that's why I'm annoyed. Kyle? I, I think they're building for next season as well. I think they found a concept to go towards, a bit like what Mercedes are doing now. So their upgrades they're bringing now um are geared towards next season they changed their concept of their car midway through the season and boy did they get it right uh, and i think next year's car will just be an evolution of this year's car so i have confidence that they'll still be up there second and best, in a similar second position best now second best no or will they be where they should have been at the start of this season which is you know comfortably ahead of alpine and aston martin um i'd like to think that they are going to be probably on par with Ferrari and Mercedes. Oh no, that's that is a massive shout. That is a <laughs> massive shout. I'll take I'll take a shiny penny against that. The annoying thing about this season has been yes, Red Bull have you know disappeared with one car into the distance, but the second best car has changed all season, and yeah. that is a lot because everybody was out of you know out of phase developmentally. Ferrari probably came out. Obviously, Aston Martin came out with the second best car to start with. Ferrari were as strong as they were going to get. Um, and then um, and have occasionally shone to be that second best car. Uh, Mercedes kind of changed direction a little bit early on and said, oh, this concept's not going to be the championship winning car. 
and then McLaren came in late. So it's been a really, it's been really peaky. And at every point in this season, who whichever car has been second, the internet has gone wild, going, "See, they are the second best car." But we've said that about five different teams this season. So you're saying they're basically the person who turns up to the house party at midnight with a fresh case of beer with, and no personality, <laughs> and now they're the hero. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Dave's here, sweet. Yeah, he's got beer. <laughs> Dave's got the keg. He's the best. Yeah, no one was talking about Dave early on, were they? Anyway, that's a bit of a rap. Yeah, but they're finishing closer. All right. They're all finishing right. closer to Red Bull. And, and let's recall, like, they just missed their window to start the season with this car. They couldn't get it built in time, and they knew it. They brought the chassis more or less that they needed. And so unlike Mercedes, they were able to do, I think, a greater percentage of what they wanted to. And they're obviously on the right track when it comes to chasing down Red Bull. Because Red Bull, too, is constrained by what their chassis can do. They will make changes for next season. But if I'm going into next season as the clearly the second fastest car because you outsync which i think that they are then i would expect them to be there or thereabouts even if they just brought the car they finished the season with and let's not forget they have a new wind tunnel to play with now which is going to massively improve their development speed because they don't have to use the one in germany it'll be a lot quicker to test the things that they have the time to test if i'm mclaren I'm very excited about this. Oh, look, look you're, you're being like uh, Ferrari fans at the start of every season. You're, like, you're being like Ferrari fans in testing every single season. Oh, we got this. We How got dare this, I this have year. a fact? I know, it's terrible. Well, okay, 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 good. Let's bookmark <laughs> this then for next season. Let's bookmark <laughs> this the same way we bookmark everyone saying that Aston Martin were going to be on podiums for the whole season. Come on, guys. Peaks, not troughs. As in, it is a peak. And also look at the troughs. And look at trends. Let's end on Jules giving us a quick update on Lewis Hamilton losing the 2008 championship. Finally. Yeah, speaking of things to look forward to, um, the FIA, let's say something nice about him in this show. Um, they have they have uh, um, asked uh, the Felipe Massa team uh, for more time to look into his challenge uh, uh, regarding the 2008 world title. Yep. Um, so the deadline was this week uh, for the, the FIA legal team to uh, to come up with a, with a reply. And they asked uh, the Massa team, uh, can we have uh, four weeks more? Because uh, apparently they, they want to give the indication that we're working really hard on this and we're putting in a lot of effort. We want to, we want to leave no stone unturned to find everything we Do can Do I hear get. sarcasm? I, I just imagine, you know, over there in France in the FIA head, headquarters, there's just a couple of guys having a laugh every day. Oh yeah, let's start working again on the, on the Philippe Massa challenge. And probably just thinking, yeah, let, let the, the the lawyer bill of Felipe Massa's uh, um, uh, lawyer have, team uh, run, you know. You I, nailed it with that bill, man. They're just going <laughs> to hand Felipe the world's biggest check because there's no way. The right, like, and, and understand, it took me about an hour and a half to go back and calculate all the possible points, um, 
all the possible points. If you disqualified the team for the whole season, if you disqualify them for the race, the only way Massa gets a championship is if you decide that the race should have been stopped at the moment of that accident, which is a sheer absurdity because everybody else was capable of running to the end of the race. You disqualify the team, nothing changes. You disqualify them for the whole season, nothing changes. That's not true. Hamilton wins by a little bit more. Only in a very specific And unprecedented. (laughs) Unprecedented, never been done before. And never mind that as a signatory to the FIA rules, they're required to go to FIA court anyway to solve this problem. It it, it just, like, all it is is Felipe Massa is just going to wind up owing his lawyers a whole heck of a lot more money at the end of this process, which never had any chance to begin with. And I I still think, I still think in the back of my mind, my little tinfoil hat says, who paid for the lawyers? Was it someone who was recently convicted of fraud in the UK? Could it have been just a distraction? I don't know. But I like to think it's true. Hang on, hang on. I think we have to be careful. Moments. I think we have to be careful because if you're talking about Bernie Ecclestone, he wasn't convicted of fraud in the UK. That no, that was Germany. Singapore. No, Germany. He paid a, he paid a $60 million tab in Germany. Oh. For, was, it, was it fraud? I don't know. Whatever he was convicted of. Bribery? I don't know. I thought it was not declaring... Illegalness. He was convicted of illegalness. How I thought it was that? not declaring okay we're not lawyers and we're not obviously not financial journalists um i thought it was not declaring earnings in singapore was what he was got had what he got a suspended sentence for um he got he got well my headline says fraud guilty 600 million pounds but that could not be entirely accurate i will give you that he was convicted in a uk court he does owe them 600 million pounds and it was for shenanigans about not reporting things that I know is accurate. Uh, we got and those things, they were in Singapore. Oh, okay, good. So I'm not completely mad, Jules. Thank you. you know, I thought coincidentally, I to... the place where the whole thing Felipe <laughs> Massa still wound up about happened. Yeah. I, when, when the headline came about, when it was Ecclestone, Singapore, guilty, I went, oh my goodness, is this related to the Massa thing? But what I, what I heard or read somewhere random, probably TikTok, was that Felipe Massa is going to take a run at being the, the president or he's going to run for some kind of political office in Brazil and uh, and and being crowned or, or being able to go, I'm the rightful champion, will somehow help that? Is this why he needs money? I, I mean, just uh, you know, the only the only dots that connected in my head was Eccleston lives in Brazil half the year. His wife is Brazilian. Massa is Brazilian. And if I needed a distraction from my own particular Formula One problems, which, you know, obviously he... It's kind of a bit of a headline here. Then what better distraction could I have than this sort of a dog and pony show that's been chucked up before us? I think it's very important to establish whether Lewis Hamilton was already a role model in 2008, because that could be key to this whole investigation. Go and follow <laughs> these role models. Go and follow Jules Sagers at Jules Sagers F1. Go and follow at Kyle Power F1 and at MattPT55 on Twitter. All the links to our social media stuff will be in the show notes below. You can follow me at Spanners Ready, Richard Ready on Facebook, and you can follow me on Instagram if you want to see some quite nice pictures. And there's enough people following me on Instagram to encourage me to start posting general things about my life if you're interested. And uh, consider being a patron. Patreon.com forward slash 
missed Apex. The live stream is going to be late on Sunday. I believe it's actually going to be 11 p.m. or 11.30 p.m. UK time. So if you're up in the UK, come and join us. But it might be more the America's side. But that review will be ready for your Monday morning commute. I am committed to staying up until 2 o'clock in the morning to get that out to you guys. Until next time, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. people knew we existed we'd be at a major risk of being sued mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince i'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.